What? 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 I know how we can run everybody out of Rock Ridge. How? We'll kill the firstborn male child in every household. Too Jewish. Shalom and welcome to the Two Jewish Radio Show with Rabbi Sam Kohan and Friends, a weekly serving of everything Jewish. We'll have a great hour together today of news, music, comedy, and conversation. Our guest this morning is Steve Zeitlin, author of Jewels, teasing out poetry in Jewish humor and storytelling. We'll also have a visit from our expert on the international Jewish scene, Tom Price. Please email your comments to us at twojewishradio18 at gmail.com or visit us on the web at twojewishradio.com. The opinions of the host and guests on Two Jewish are their own and not those of the radio station. Two Jewish is paid for by Two Jewish Radio programs and podcasts, Tucson, Arizona. And now, here's Rabbi Sam Kohan and Two Jewish. Shalom. Purim is here. Tomorrow night and Tuesday, the Jewish holiday of wild revelry and great silliness. It's a time for springtime celebrating, something we do once a year because, well, everybody needs a good party, at least annually. Purim has the reputation of being a festival solely for children, which is inaccurate. Kids do love it, and they should. We get to boo the villain and cheer the heroine and hero, sing songs, swing groggers, loud noisemakers, dress up in costume, and eat the most delicious dessert delicacies, humantaschen. It's all good fun, and children always enjoy Purim. But the truth is that in a world in which the stresses of daily life and the larger challenges that societies always face can build up within us, in which the responsibilities we feel can become overwhelming, having a night and day to just let it all hang out can be a great relief indeed. Judaism generally counsels moderation and maturity in life, ethical action and moral behavior, which makes the release of the wild, raucous celebration of the events of the Book of Esther, a kind of controlled chaos, even more valuable. It's not only okay once a year to let it all hang out on Purim, as it were, it's an obligation under Jewish law. One commandment, one central mitzvah of Purim is to drink Adelo Yada, until you can't tell the difference between the villain Haman and the hero Mordechai. Another mitzvah, another commandment is to have an actual feast, a seudat mitzvah, a big, even overly big meal on Purim. That's not to say that you are supposed to be immoral on Purim. It just means that the usual restrictions on drinking too much and eating too much, on being too loud, even on gambling, are lifted. Purim is the original Mardi Gras, the Jewish St. Patrick's Day, if you will, the spring fling every culture has and needs. But it's also just one day, designed to let off all the accumulated steam that needs to escape our internal boilers. There's an interesting symmetry to the Jewish year. Six months ago, nearly to the day, we fasted and dressed all in white and repented our sins on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And tomorrow night and Tuesday, we will dress in the brightest of colors, eat and drink to excess, and celebrate silliness on Purim, which peculiarly has a similar-sounding name, Purim, Yom Kippur, even though it is nearly the diametrical opposite of the Day of Atonement. 
There is a rather cynical rabbinic insight about the six months apart holidays of Purim and Yom HaKippurim. It says that on Purim, we Jews dress up and pretend to be non-Jews. And on Yom Kippur, we Jews dress up and pretend to be Jews. In any case, Purim deserves to be celebrated by all Jews, not just the tiniest ones. And in that spirit, or under the influence of spirits, perhaps, here's a classic Maccabees parody of Jewish singer Pink's song, Raise Your Glass, for Purim, of course. Stand, stand for a tale so grand, Shushan is the place where it all began, the hidden miracle. One man, second in command, slay all the Jews with his wicked plan, a scheme so miserable. He chose a day for the disaster. It's ironic what came after. He didn't know a girl named Esther would turn it upside down. So raise your glasses if you can see the hidden meaning right in front of you. From behind the scenes, she wore the royal crown. Three days the Jews just prayed. Queen Esther risked her life, went to save the day. She took Haman down. The streets were filled with celebration. Everyone ate hamantashen. Jubilation for the nation.
was the Maccabees version of Pink's Raise Your Glass for Purim. Tomorrow night and Tuesday, Purim comes exactly one month before the super major Jewish holiday of Passover, and you can attend our extraordinary first night Passover Seder with me, Rabbi Sam Kohan at Beit Simcha, Wednesday night, April 5th at 6 p.m., the first night of Pesach. Go to BeitSimchaTucson.com to sign up. B-E-I-T-S-I-M-C-H-A Tucson.com. As Moses said, more or less, let my people rejoice. So Purim's about fun and humor and joking. And in that spirit, our guest on Two Jewish This Morning, Steve Zeitlin, will share Jewish jokes he has turned into poems. It's from a remarkable and enjoyable new book called Jewels. Hear all about it in a few moments when we come back on Two Jewish. We are the soul of Tucson. We are your neighbors and friends. Our commitment to provide the very best relies on the finest products and services you, our community, has to offer. Together, we make Tucson thrive. When we win, you win. Casino del Sol, the soul of Tucson. Enterprise of the Pasquayaki tribe. We are delighted to welcome you to Jewish, Steve Zeitlin. He's the author of a variety of books on America's folk culture and humor and poetry, including his new book, Jewels, Teasing Out the Poetry in Jewish Humor and Storytelling. Good morning and welcome to Two Jewish. Good morning. So um, some of these stories that lead into your poetry and, and the poetry that you've included in this anthology are incredibly familiar and not necessarily true. Some are really funny. Um, it, it's a really interesting anthology. Tell us a little bit about, um, first of all, how you organized it, how you decided to do it this way. You know, I guess it comes out of a, a, a kind of vision that there was a different way of telling these, these Jewish stories and jokes that I've heard all my life and spent a lot of time as a folklorist studying. And for many years, I, I was a humanity speaker going around uh, giving talks on Jewish humor. And I always felt when I was listening to the Jewish jokes that as funny as they were, there was more to them than that. And that there was something poetic and kind of deeply philosophical about many of them. And I decided to kind of put them together in, a, in an anthology, which I, I called Jewels, uh, capital J, capital E, capital W, small E-L-S, because I felt that these pieces kind of glitter. You know, I, I talk in the introduction about how they glitter with a kind of primordial light from like the leftover from the Garden of Eden and the kind of old Jewish legend. Almost Kabbalistic in your uh, approach here. Yes, exactly. That there's a, a, a light that shines forth from these things and that everything that I tried to put in the book is sometimes a story and is sad and sometimes funny. But it, to me, each one of them is kind of a, a pearl of wisdom uh, of some kind. It, each one of them has some, something wise to say and to teach us. And um, I, I try to pick stories and, and jokes because there's so many millions of them of course. in Jewish culture. But I tried to pick ones that had a philosophical quality and that, that offered some wisdom and kind of ways of being. And, and, um, and to me, both expressed something very deep inside me and that I hope would resonate 
deeply with other people. Uh, one other quick question um, in this segment, which is Jewish Publication Society is an august publishing institution. Um, usually when Jewish books on humor, and I, I guess I wouldn't call this just a book on humor, of course, as you noted, but they're not published by JPS. Um, this was such an interesting choice. Could you tell us why they chose you? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's kind of, I guess it's kind of, kind of a, a long story. In a way, what, what I think that the fact that these were more than jokes and stories appealed to Barry Schwartz, the, the editor at JPS, when I showed it to him. That didn't mean he was going to publish it, because he felt, and quite brilliantly so, that to do this, it would really need commentary that would accompany the different uh, poems, so that there was more to them, and that, and that it fit the JPS style, the kind of what they call the gold standard of JPS. Right. And so, and so he suggested that, and then I, I ended up you know, calling my old friend Panina Schram, who many of your viewers I'm sure know about. She's kind of the doyen of Jewish stories. Yes, yeah, she is indeed. She's a friend, and we always wish we could work together on something. And she was excited about writing commentaries for this book. And so she actually ended up suggesting poems, too, but wrote a lot of just wonderful commentaries to go along with each of these story poems. And the end result, it was it turned out to be something deeper and something that JPS could live with. Also, it's interesting because most books of Jewish humor don't have an index. Uh, they do not have questions for discussion the way this book has, and they don't have uh, an elaborate bibliography, all of which are hallmarks of JPS books. Right. And that by having those, um, and along with the commentary, I think they felt that it made for it for a decent uh, JPS publication. Decent. Yeah, you just barely got over the bar of our standards, but okay, we'll include it. We're talking with Steve Zeitlin. His new book is called Jewels, again, capital J-E-W-E-L-S, teasing out the poetry and Jewish human storytelling, and we will talk much more with him when we come back in a moment here on Too Jewish. Beit Simcha, the House of Joy, a fabulous Jewish synagogue in the Catalina foothills and northwest Tucson, celebrates a great array of services, classes, and events this winter and spring. Established by passionate, caring congregants and me, Rabbi Sam Kohan, Beit Simcha is a vibrant, vital community that strives daily to serve God with joy. A progressive congregation in northwest Tucson and the foothills, Beit Simcha is open to everyone throughout the metropolitan area, providing weekly Shabbat services festivals, youth and adult education academy courses, social justice opportunities, outreach, and cultural Jewish programming. Join us in person for Shabbat services or come on Facebook Live. Go to our website, BeitSimchaTucson.org, B-E-I-T-S-I-M-C-H-A Tucson.org. We welcome members and guests. Call 520-276-5675 for more information. Religious school is going for school-aged children or grandchildren. Come to Hebrew school, bar and bat mitzvah programs, Torah Tykes experience, confirmation, and teen programs. All in a fun, relaxed setting with great Jewish learning. Go to BeitSimchaTucson.org, B-E-I-T-S-I-M-C-H-A-Tucson.org. Beit Simcha's services, classes, and events are 
open to everyone. Come in person Friday night at 6.30 p.m. or Saturday morning at 10 a.m. You can also email me directly, rabbi at beitsimcha2son.org, B-E-I-T-S-I-M-C-H-A-2son.org. Our Adult Education Academy classes are live and on Zoom. You can get those on our website, beitsimcha2son.org. Passover is coming up fast. This year, join me, Rabbi Sam Kohan at Beit Simcha, for a fabulous first night Passover Seder filled with song, meaning, beauty, and the inspiration of the great Festival of Freedom. Catered kosher for Pesach meal includes either prime rib, salmon, or a vegan main course, soup, gefilte fish, salad, dessert, and of course, matzah. Haggadot and joy are provided. Make this a Passover to remember. Go to BeitSimchaTucson.org to sign up. For more information about Beit Simcha, come to services, go to our religious school, Torah Tikes programs, bar and bat mitzvah, confirmation, high school programs, conversion track, rich array of adult education and academy courses, taught live and on Zoom, and all of our services. Come in person or on Facebook or go to Beit Simcha Tucson.org or call 520-276-5675. That's Two seven six five six seven five Beit Simcha Tucson dot org. Join me, Rabbi Sam Kohan, in the fastest growing Jewish congregation in all of Arizona. In its exciting beginning years, come for Purim tomorrow night and Pesach in a month. Do you know someone who personally made a major difference for the whole Jewish people? An individual who's done important work for Klal Yisrael and deserves to be highly recognized for that effort. As president of the Kohan Memorial Foundation, I'm grateful that the modest cash awards we started more than 10 years ago have grown into a substantial amount of unrestricted funds given to winners with the help of donors like many of you. The foundation, named for my grandparents, Rabbi Samuel S. Kohan and A. Irma Kohan, makes these awards for important service to Klal Yisrael, the entire Jewish people. That service can be in one of four activities, unity, education, creative arts, or rescue. Past Kohan Award recipients are remarkable people who've done outstanding work. If you know someone who qualifies for a Kohan Foundation Award, please go to kohanaward.com, C-O-H-O-N, award.com, and fill out the simple nomination form. That website is kohanaward.com. Nominate an individual or donate yourself. Do it for the whole Jewish people. If you have a question, comment, compliment, or criticism, Kvetch or Ekfell, please email us at 2JewishRadio18 at gmail.com. That's T-O-O JewishRadio18 at gmail. Or visit our website, 2JewishRadio.com. You can hear all past and present shows through the website. Streaming us from there or downloading us from the Apple iTunes Store is very popular Jewish podcasts. Top 10 in America. According to Moment Magazine, over 200,000 downloads on Podbean and on Spotify now. Please post a rating and review to Jewish wherever you are listening to us. Those comments help. The stories we share last a lifetime and are passed down from generation to generation known for our compassionate commitment to the families we serve. Evergreen Mortuary and Cemetery has faithfully served the Tucson community and the Jewish community for over 100 years. We help thousands of families plan and carry out celebrations of loved ones in unique and special ways and assist them in sharing those lifetimes of stories meaningfully. The most beautiful and tranquil final resting place in all of Southern Arizona, Evergreen's tall pines shade peaceful grassy fields. You can count on Evergreen for superior service and the highest degree of integrity. 
Our informative, well-trained staff is here to assist you with a full range of on-site services. Call Evergreen, 520-888-7470, 520-888-7470. While we serve the whole community, our experience conducting Jewish funerals, Reform, Conservative, and Orthodox is second to none. We have sections dedicated to all religious faiths, can help you arrange for your future needs or your immediate ones. Whether you choose to hold a traditional funeral service or a completely individualized ceremony, either in person or online or both, our goal is to help you create a meaningful, personalized service based upon your unique needs in a place of reflection, tradition, and serenity. Evergreen Mortuary and Cemetery offers the best to the community and to you. Call 520-888-7470. To speak to a family advisor at Evergreen, call 520-888-7470. We welcome our expert on the international Jewish scene, Tom Price. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Rabbi. You know, a long time ago, I wrote a senior thesis at UCLA on the Raidenite traders, Jewish traders and travelers who were part of the Silk Route. They ran from... Their trade ran from Spain all the way to China. And there were Jewish communities in China and there were Jewish communities all along the Silk Route that runs through Central Asia. But I don't think most of us understand what the Silk Route was or what its relevance would be for a wide variety of actually quite significant Jewish communities that survived. Right. Well, you've already raised like a dozen difficult, thorny, well, so we can talk about this for questions. weeks and weeks. To- First of all, there wasn't a single silk route. It wasn't like Route 66. It was multiple routes that connected China, the source of silk, and for many, many centuries, the only source of silk in the world, with the West. Right. I remember there were four delineated by this one Arab geographer, four different routes, but I'm sure there were many more than that. The point is, it's it's a direction of East-West trade that took many different specific routes, as opposed to something that you can draw a line on a map and say, this was the <laughs> silk route. Right. right. Um, so towns al- along the silk route include very different places that are far north and south of each other, in part because the rest of the world doesn't know much about Central Asia, never did. And it's easy to characterize all this as, oh, it's part of the Silk Route without getting into too many details. So let's first look at what countries constitute Central Asia today on on today's maps, okay? So Central Asia does not include the Caucasus, even though the Caucasus contains Azerbaijan, which is a Turkic-speaking country, and most countries in Central Asia are also Turkic-speaking countries, which means essentially that they have languages that are closely related to Turkish and largely mutually comprehensible. They have been influenced by different external powers in the course of their histories. The Soviets and the, the Russians before them had some impact on some of these languages to greater and lesser extents. But the Caucasus is definitely not part of Central Asia. So on an east-west sense, Central Asia probably begins at the Caspian Sea, on the eastern shores of the Caspian Sea. Okay. And further north and further east, it begins with the Ural Mountains that delineate, theoretically at least for geographers, Asia and Europe. And that's 
where you'll find a couple of Russian cities that try to control geographical gateways into Russia from the east because they always feared the Mongol hordes. Right. The invading um, tribal right. armies coming in. Right. And there's still a fairly large subliminal fear in Russians of the Mongol hordes, which no longer exist, haven't existed for centuries. But these swarms of Asiatics to the east fill Russian imaginations with fear. The Tatars are always coming up over the Urals. Right. So the countries today that are clearly Central Asia were not all part of the former Soviet Union. One, for example, is Afghanistan. Definitely a Central Asian country, never part of the Soviet Union, except when it was occupied for roughly a decade in very recent history. We'll take up the other countries that make up Central Asia and why that history is so intertwined with the rest of the world history next week. And, and how it affects Jewish history, too. Thanks so much, Tom. We'll talk then. I look forward to it. It's time now for our old Jewish joke of the week. Jewish humor, your Bubby and Zadie New brought to you by Too Jewish as a public service. And this one is truly a classic. A rabbi, a priest, and a minister have houses of worship side by side. Each congregation gets the clergyman a new car. A Buick for the minister, a Cadillac for the priest, a Lincoln for the rabbi. But gas prices are going through the roof. They decide to share the wealth in carpool. On the first day, the other two are shocked to see the pastor lay his hands on the head of his car and pray silently. What are you doing, the priest asks. The pastor looks up. I'm dedicating this car to the Lord's service. Good idea. Be right back, the priest exclaims. Runs into the church. He emerges with a scepter on a short stick and shakes water out of it onto the Cadillac. The rabbi stares. What are you doing, he says. I'm consecrating it with holy water, the priest replies. Great idea, the rabbi says. He runs into the synagogue tool shed, coming out with a hacksaw, and he cuts two inches off the tailpipe of the Lincoln. That was the old Jewish joke of the week, special feature of Two Jewish, just for you. You should live and be well. You know, when everyone's driving an electric car, that joke won't work. And now a word of Torah. This week we read the traumatic Torah portion of Kiti Sa, story of the golden calf. While Moses is up on Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments, the Israelites start to worry that he's never coming back. And so, while God is carving the words, you shall have no other gods besides me or make any image of them into a stone tablet, the faithless Hebrew people persuade Moses' brother Aaron to make them an idol of gold, a calf, that they can call their new god. Pleased with the result, they worship it and then throw a big party, a bacchanal, a carnival, Mardi Gras in the Sinai, Purim, long before Esther. Coming down the mountain, Joshua and Moses hear noise from the camp below. Joshua is astonished. He thinks it must be the sound of battle. But Moses knows what a party sounds like. And when Moses sees all the cavorting and the newly chosen people worshiping a golden idol, he throws down the sacred stone tablets of the commandments made by God, shattering them. The music and dancing stop suddenly. It's a shocking scene. For the rabbis, this was one of the most dramatic and distressing portions in the entire Torah. 
The problem is acute. According to the text, our people witnessed the divine power of the ten plagues, were personally saved at the shore of the Sea of Reeds by God, received a direct revelation at Sinai, and short experienced God more directly than any group in history ever has, and almost immediately after turned around and rejected God in order to worship a cow made out of their own jewelry. In rabbinic midrash, this week's events are called the Maaseha Egel, the awful story of the calf. How can a people, given such a clear set of signs and wonders, including direct revelation and verbal commands, only follow the true God for 40 days before pursuing a ridiculous bovine substitute? The answer lies in our own makeup. We enjoy spectacle. We are impressed by it, awed by it, but as soon as it's gone, its effects linger a very short time indeed. What makes us tick as human beings, what keeps us in line, is the very dailiness of regular rules and schedules, the kinds of laws and rituals that are very much a part of practical Judaism. We need both ritual and structure. And until these are provided in a coherent way, we will flounder even disastrously so, as we did in this story of the golden calf. Without a way to connect to God regularly, without prayer services, a personal commitment to doing mitzvot each day, we quickly lose our ability to be holy. We instead chase gold, or idols, or both. We become obsessed with our own pursuits. We chase, if you will, our own idols of gold, We need more than grand ideas or sweeping spirituality. We need religion and a Jewish grounding in practice and experience, or we won't be able to remain ethical. Without that, we begin to worship golden calves of every kind. At the end of this portion of Kitisa, there is a denouement to the painful story of spiritual failure, a kind of limited redemption. Moses goes back up Mount Sinai and brings down another set of tablets. This time he has to carve them himself. And then he asks God to reveal God's essence to him. Moses doesn't get exactly what he wants, but he's provided the privilege of experiencing God's passing presence. And then Moses, too, must continue to try to sense that presence every day. In other words, even Moses, the best of us, the person closest to God, must continually seek the presence of God. How much more so is that true for the rest of us Jews today, we modern-day Israelites? In spite of our failures of faith and action, if we continue to seek to find God, we too will be blessed with a touch of that sacred divine presence. We too can find holiness. When we return in a moment, our guest this morning, Steve Zeitlin, author of Jewels, teasing out poetry and Jewish humor and storytelling, shares some of his favorite Jewish jokes and the stories associated with them. It's good fun, all in honor of the holiday of Purim tomorrow night and Tuesday. And it'll be here when we come back in a moment on Too Jewish. We continue with our Too Jewish update on news of Jews around the world with commentary. My friends, usually doing the news on Too Jewish is a pragmatic experience. Finding the current Jewish stories that must be told each week and telling them in our unique Too Jewish way. 
Sometimes doing the news can be a lot of fun. Highlighting a great Jewish accomplishment or the success of important Jews or a wonderful human interest story, celebrating a sports triumph or Nobel Prize win or electoral victory or even just a ridiculous, silly story. Sometimes doing the news is predictably sad and even infuriating. We must recount anti-Semitic words or actions somewhere in America or around the world or, God forbid, a terror attack on Jews. Sometimes it's shocking and hard to cover the news, like the tragic death of astronaut Ilan Ramon or the conviction of a prominent Israeli leader for corruption or abuse of power. And sometimes preparing and doing the news is bittersweet, such as when we have the chance to remember a great Jewish figure, a wonderful comedian or actor, politician, or a talented Jewish musician like Stephen Sondheim or Burt Bacharach this past year. But just occasionally, it's genuinely painful to do the news of Jews around the world. The most challenging Jewish news to cover is when Jews do something we are genuinely ashamed of and which damages the reputation of all Jews and even Judaism. The awful truth of the Bernie Madoff story, for example. No fun to talk about that. Or Heidi Weinstein's terrible acts. Unfortunately, that's the case this week when we have to talk about the terrible situation in the West Bank. This time, it's not only a Palestinian terrorist atrocity we need to recount, but awful acts by Jews that rise to a level of immorality we have not seen in years. The facts are clear now. Two Israeli brothers from the West Bank settlement of Har Bracha, Hillel Yaniv and Yagel Yaniv, the older of whom just completed his IDF service, while the younger was finishing his training in emergency crisis response, they were murdered by Palestinian terrorists in the West Bank. The Israeli settlement they came from was near Nablus, and in response to the murders, hundreds of settlers gathered and attacked the nearby Palestinian village of Hawara. Without knowing if the terrorists came from there, they proceeded to attack and burn 11 homes and dozens of cars, rioting through the village and injuring a number of people. One Palestinian man who had just returned from working doing emergency earthquake relief in Turkey was killed. After taking a break from this wanton violence to Davin Marev, the evening service, wow, they proceeded to attack another Palestinian village nearby, Burin, breaking windows, slaughtering sheep, burning buildings, and stoning homes. This kind of vigilante violence goes against all Jewish values. It reminds us of the Baruch Goldstein slaughter of Palestinians praying in Hebron back in 1994, of the brutal bomb attacks on Arab mayors in the 1980s, of the wanton and stupidly arrogant tagging crimes that have become common in the territories in recent years. Israel has a serious military and a potent criminal justice system. As an advanced democracy, there are appropriate means to deal with terrorists that don't involve becoming terrorists. To do so is wrong in every way. Punishing random civilians of all ages who are just trying to live their lives is the act of the morally bankrupt. Briefly interrupting your arson, theft, assault and battery, rock throwing, sheep killing, and other vicious stupidities, possibly including murder, to pray to God 
is in fact a chilul Hashem, a desecration of God's name. In this instance, Israeli authorities did not respond effectively to the violent Jewish settler rampage, obviously, and there was some confusion as to which of several policing organizations had jurisdiction. That is, frankly, no excuse. There were accounts that the combination of Israeli police, military police, IDF, and Shin Bet who were on the scene fired more tear gas at the Arabs who were being attacked than they did stop the settler violence. An additional evil comes out of this horrific riot. The settler violence actually delayed the Israeli security forces from searching for the perpetrators of the terrorist murders. And this incident will only add a lot of fuel to the simmering coals of the West Bank right now. If the goal here was to provoke a third intifada, well, this could prove to be the ideal way to do it. Almost as if to demonstrate that the vicious attack on the Arab villages was counterproductive, an Israeli-American, Ilan Ganelis, 27 years old, was murdered the very next day in another Palestinian terrorist attack near Jericho. Bibi Netanyahu's government needs to completely condemn this incident in the strongest possible terms. It has done so only in a kind of lukewarm way. This is the wrong path. Nothing good can come of it in either the short or the long term. And in Michigan, the FBI coordinated with local authorities and arrested a heavily armed man who had threatened to kill all Jewish elected officials in Michigan on social media. The man appears to be a former employee of the University of Michigan. Jack Eugene Carpenter III of Tipton, Michigan, tweeted February 17th that he was heading back to Michigan now, threatening to carry out the punishment of death to anyone that is Jewish in the Michigan government if they don't leave or confess, says the FBI. There are several prominent Jewish elected officials in the state, including Attorney General Dana Nessel, U.S. Representative Elisa Slotkin, and a handful of state senators and representatives. Carpenter has been charged with transmitting an interstate threat for which he could receive up to five years in federal prison. Hate crimes may also be on the table. He is being held without bail in a federal court in Detroit. And that's the two Jewish news of Jews round the world. The stories we share last a lifetime and are passed down from generation to generation, known for our compassionate commitment to the families we serve. Evergreen Mortuary and Cemetery has faithfully served the Tucson community and the Jewish community for over 100 years. We help thousands of families plan and carry out celebrations of loved ones in unique and special ways and assist them in sharing those lifetimes of stories meaningfully. The most beautiful and tranquil final resting place in all of Southern Arizona, Evergreen's tall pines shade peaceful, grassy fields. You can count on Evergreen for superior service and the highest degree of integrity. Our informative, well-trained staff is here to assist you with a full range of on-site services. Call Evergreen, 520-888-7470, 520-888-7470. 
While we serve the whole community, our experience conducting Jewish funerals, Reform, Conservative, and Orthodox is second to none. We have sections dedicated to all religious faiths, can help you arrange for your future needs or your immediate ones. Whether you choose to hold a traditional funeral service or a completely individualized ceremony, either in person or online or both, our goal is to help you create a meaningful, personalized service based upon your unique needs in a place of reflection, tradition, and serenity. Evergreen Mortuary and Cemetery offers the best to the community and to you. Call 520-888-7470. To speak to a family advisor at Evergreen, call 520-888-7470. We welcome back to Two Jewish, our guest this morning, Steve Zeitlin, is the uh, author and editor and co-author of a variety of award-winning books on America's folk culture, um, Because God Loves Stories, an anthology of Jewish storytelling, the poetry of everyday life, storytelling and the art of awareness. He produced uh, some of America, the American Talkers series for NPR, has won the American Folklore Society's Award for Lifetime Achievement, and his new book is called Jewels, Teasing Out the Poetry and Jewish Humor and Storytelling. All right, so I'll, I'll, I'll ask you a question in a Jewish folklore-ish way. Is this any way for a nice Jewish boy to make a living? <laughs> Let me see here. Um, I always use that as an example from a uh, that, that a punchline can work without the joke, because I was, I was once giving a talk on Jewish humor to a group of older uh, adults at a, at a B'nai B'rith kind of event. And at the end, some, somebody stood up and looked at the audience and said, from this, he makes a living. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Thank you so much, sir. Just great, great. I, so, thank but, you. But, um, you know, my dad, of course, was always asked along with me of, you know, what in the world does a folklorist does? And somebody once asked me uh, when I was with my dad, how does a folklorist make a living? And my dad answered, he scratches it out any way he can. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I would say that's a good answer. I, I think it's an accurate answer for a lot of us in a lot of fields uh, of creative Jewish endeavor. Um, so, uh, this is a difficult question to ask, but what's your favorite part of Jules? I'll read you one that I really, I'm glad you actually got a copy of the book because I think when you see the, the stories written as these short poems, you kind of understand why they work that way. Yeah, I know it's, 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 um, it's lovely actually, uh, but it, uh, very surprising. <laughs> so, so that, that here's a, here's an example that I, I end the book with at a, as a concert by Isaac Perlman got underway, a string on his violin snapped. His playing came to a halt. The crowd expected him to restring it. Instead, he motioned to the conductor to begin the movement again. He played the full concerto on only three strings with no flaws. The audience, awed by the magnificent strings, rose in spontaneous applause. He silenced them with a single phrase. Our job is to make music with what remains. Um, to me, that, that's such a, an answer to, you know, the, to, to life and death in the Jewish context. It's great. Um, by the way, I, I used that story once in a sermon, in a high holiday sermon. It's a famous story. 
and uh, got a stinging rebuke afterwards in an email from a congregant who said, it's not true, it's impossible, um, I know, I looked it up on Snopes, etc., uh, etc. Et I think his response was longer than my sermon. And, and I responded with um, a line, which is, I think, from Catcher in the Rye by the Jewish author J.D. Salinger, which is, it's all true, even if it didn't happen that way. <laughs> Here's another one that please. That, um, I, I bet you might you might not have uh, heard. Of course, I'm reading the some of the more philosophical rather than the pure jokes. But I called it Lifeline. A Jew suffering the slings and arrows of misfortune turns his head toward God. Lord, he says, this world is plagued with anguish, hopelessness, malevolence, depression, and despair. Why do you not send help, my friend? God says, I did send help. I sent you. Yeah, I like that one a lot. Most of these, of course, for those people who've been listening to Two Jewish for the last 20 years, we do an old Jewish joke of the week every week. So a lot of these are based on jokes that Jews know. I think we're born knowing them, it feels like. But the way that you sort of um, curate them is is so interesting and I think positive, And it brings something... Um, out of the joke that deepens our understanding of the qualities that make us really Jewish. One really powerful example that was told, one of the poets who had a lot to do with, with uh, contributing things to this book was a poet named Zev Shankin. And he told this joke, which is so chilling, uh, really. Uh, it's called Holocaust Joke. A comedian dies and goes to heaven. He meets God and says, are you okay with Holocaust jokes? God says, try me. The comedian tells God the joke. God says, I don't get it. The comedian replies, well, I guess you had to be there. there. Yeah, it's it's a great um, philosophical joke, as you would put it. Um, Kind of an evolutionary question. The American Jewish community has is changing. It has always changed. It's always been changed by new immigrants, by people who had been here for long periods of time and multiple generations and the way those generations changed and saw things. But it really is changing in sometimes its appreciation for the depth of wisdom in some of this folklore. Do you think that these stories still speak to younger Jews? One of my thoughts on why I wrote the book was that, you know, Jews have always been known as traveling from place to place and sometimes... uh, Wandering Jews, right? Wandering Jews, sometimes escaping dire straits, sometimes seeking a better life, sometimes directed by God. They've been always traveling. They've always been affordable people. And I I kind of felt that by, by... miniaturizing some of these stories uh, and into these into their essences and oftentimes these things are almost always uh, shorter than a page they make them more portable so that Jews as affordable people and all of us can carry them with us more easily and I think that speaks to you know younger people as well as, as we kind of catapult into the future which of course the younger generation is at the forefront of and everything is happening faster and faster and faster, and people have less and less time to dwell on the past. Maybe these kind of miniature stories and these kind of 
um, pearls of wisdom from Jewish culture, maybe there's a, a way in which they're more easily carried and more easily remembered by younger people. Um, so it gives it to them in a nutshell because, you know, it, it gives it to them in, in, at, at a length that is a kind of Twitter friendly uh, and maybe something that they can uh, can latch onto and, and be a way for them tapping into this incredible wellspring of Jewish history and culture that is so exquisite and powerful and, you know, revealing of, of ways to be on earth. I'd like to explore maybe one or two more of your favorites, if you're willing to share. Okay, let's see here. Okay. And, and by the way, one of my favorites is one of your shortest. It, it's it's called The Atheist, and it's your poem. Inviting uh, <laughs> into a luscious Gus's pickle, the atheist doubts his faith. It's great. From a rabbi. Uh, you, you, you have my hechsher on this one. <laughs> well, I tried to, you know, I tried to do this book in such a way that even people that know all these, all the Jewish jokes, there's still a lot of things in here that are kind of original poems and original thoughts. This one here, I, I, I feel speaks so much to the, to the situation in the Middle East. It's called The Land. The rabbi and the imam argue peaceably over the holiest of lands. This land was promised to our people from the days of Abraham. But my people are living on this land, they argue. A child passing by overhears their conversation. The dilemma is a simple one, he says, easily overcome. He puts his ear to the ground. So what does it tell you, my child, asked the rabbi. What do you hear, asked the imam. It says, this land belongs to none of you. You belong to the land. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. I think we can squeeze one more in. Okay. <laughs> Let me see if I can just find a, a joke for you. So, so. Uh, well, and then I have a question for you, but uh, but let's get one more. Okay. I don't know why this, this joke is so, it's so simple. It's called the Plotkin Diamond. Oh, I love that joke. By the way, classic joke, right? <laughs> classic joke. Mrs. Cohen sees her friend at the mall with a gorgeous diamond on her ring finger. Oh my, she says, that is the most beautiful diamond I have ever seen. It's a beautiful diamond, her friend says. In fact, it's the world's famous Plotkin diamond. Really? But it comes with a curse. A curse, says Mrs. Cohen. What curse? Plotkin. You know, that, that joke is so simple. And, you know, it, because there's a diamond in it, it, it kind of shines. It's just so perfectly structured. <laughs> Uh, in the way it's put together, <laughs> but I, I, I find it lovely. Here's another, here's, if you have time for one more version. One more, all right. The perfect girl. A friend asked Abby, how come you never married? Simple, I never found the perfect girl. You mean you never found one girl in this whole wide world good enough for you? Only once, I did. I found the perfect girl. Then why didn't you marry her? She was looking for the perfect guy. <laughs> I mean, there's so much wisdom in that. Well, and it, it just feels so true. So my question is, okay, I, saw, I found a joke here I had never told on Too Jewish. Can I use it next week on this show? This is... Of course. That's what it's there for. And, and that's really one of the beautiful lessons about folklore, right? It belongs to all of us. The, um, Steve Zeitlin's book is called Jewels, Teasing Out the Poetry and Jewish Humor and Storytelling. A lot of fun uh, with some wonderful wisdom in it. Where can people go to find out more about you, Steve? Well, first of all, they can buy the book on Amazon. And yes. they can buy it from the, uh, from the 
a Jewish publication society as well. Um, it's also at, at the University of Nebraska Press uh, distributes it. And um, my email, if people want to write to me, is steve at citylore.org. That's the organization I run, citylore, C-I-T-Y-L-O-R-E dot O-R-G. And if you live in New York on March 19th, we're having a launch for the book. Um, and uh, please, please uh, sign up for the mailing list at City Lore and you'll get a notice for it. Steve, thank you so much. Good luck with the book. Okay, thank you. Thanks for, thanks for, for reading it as well. I really appreciate it. Really enjoyed it. When we come back on Two Jewish, we'll hear about next week's guest, get a final musical play out. We are the soul of Tucson. We are your neighbors and friends. Our commitment to provide the very best relies on the finest products and services you, our community, has to offer. Together, we make Tucson thrive. When we win, you win. Casino del Sol, the soul of Tucson. Enterprise of the Pasquayaki tribe. Thanks for being here with us this morning on Too Jewish with me, Rabbi Sam Kohan. Next week, join us. Our guest will be Christopher Gorham, author of The Confidant, the untold story of the woman who helped win World War II and shape modern America. It's a fascinating tale indeed, and not well told, I promise. Please join us, Gargation Beit Simcha, every Friday night. Shabbat services and Onig Shabbat at 6.30 p.m. Saturday morning, too, 9 a.m. Torah study, 10 a.m. services, Torah reading in Kiddush, live in person and on our Facebook page. And don't miss our traditional Megillah reading and Hamantaschen with beverages tomorrow night at Beit Simcha at 6.30 p.m. Fun will be provided. Also, sign up now for our first night Passover Seder. Come and rejoice. It's open to everyone. I'll be leading it all at BeitSimchaTucson.org. Our play out this morning for the holiday of Purim coming tomorrow night, Monday night. Our traditional Megillah reading at Beit Simcha is from Israeli star Gad Elbaz and his song, and this I'm pretty sure is the only one I've ever heard of, dedicated to this guy. It's called Rosh. My friends, have a Chag Purim Sameach, a great celebration of the wonderful holiday of Purim, and a Shavua Tov, a good week, a healthy week, and a week we pray profoundly of peace. Once there was a mighty king, Achashverosh was his name. From the land of Persia, we hear that he came. It is very difficult to try to explain how we ever managed to get the silly name. Sponsored by two Jewish radio programs, Tucson, Arizona.